This is episode 13 of The Janet Lewis Show. In the podcast, I will be talking with people who have tapped into what they love, are living the life they imagined, or maybe they didn't imagine it, but have become super successful at what they're doing. They've been able to figure out what gives them energy or makes them happy and turn it into a business, or they've found a career that allows them to shine. We're going to talk about their life story, how they got to where they are, and what has influenced their journey. Today, we're talking with Tim Lukes, head coach of the McMaster Marauders women's volleyball team. Tim has spent over 30 years coaching and developing the women's program. And in the 2007-2008 season, he led the team to its first ever Ontario University Athletics Championship. And he's coached his team to capture that title two more times in 2013-14 and 2016-17. Coach Loops has received the um, <coughs> Ontario University Athletics Coach of the Year Award six times and under his watch, he's had 42 All-Stars, four Rookies of the Year, and four Modders have been named to the All-Canadian team. I'm looking forward to learning more about Tim's journey to the court and what drives his continued love for the sport. So Tim, thank you for joining me today. My pleasure, Janet. Uh, I'm so excited because you know I have so many questions for you. Um, <laughs> I originally met Tim when I tried out for the McMaster Marauders team in 1991. And I had the pleasure of playing for Coach Luke's for three seasons, um, was Rookie of the Year and an All-Star in my third year, and would have loved to play the fourth season, but unfortunately, the universe had another plan and I blew up my ACL, so that dream ended. But I've always kept in touch with Tim and recently went back to the alumni game. I loved being on campus and getting back on the court with others that also loved the game, but my favorite part of the visit was my chat with Tim. We talked about volleyball, how it's changed, the pressures on athletes today, and how it affects team dynamics and coaching styles. It amazes me that someone can find what they love and be able to continue to strive for the best for over 30 years. The passion and dedication that Tim has for the love of the game cannot be matched. I always loved our conversations when, we, when I was playing for you, and I still love them today, and so I'm looking forward to chatting. But why don't we start off with a little bit of your history? like? Where you grew up, because you're from Hamilton. From Hamilton, yes, indeed. Um, born and bred here. Uh, started off on race seven, Ray Street North. Oh, where's that? To my memory, it's right uh, just Queen Street and Main. Okay. In that neighborhood. Um, as a youngster, those are my sort of my first memories. Now, you know, as I'm proceeding in the age category, it's harder and harder to establish a baseline. <laughs> <laughs> of when all of this starts, and and certainly where we uh, and where we have arrived, but Ray Street, and then uh, shortly thereafter, the move to the to the mountain, oh, which is really an escarpment, yeah, as everyone knows. But uh, I, you know, again, I date myself when I speak of things like uh, catching pollywogs in the Lime Ridge Creek, which is where the current Lime Ridge Mall actually exists now. Wow! So there's lots of <laughs> There's lots of those stories as we as we kind of move along those paths, right? But uh, certainly born and bred and, and schooled here. Um, Were you always an athlete? Like, did you start from a young age? I think it was becoming. When, you know, there, again, we'll talk about things that are of days gone by. You didn't have, you listen to your parents talk and it's uphill in the snow both ways to school. Yeah. Uh, you do the same thing, right? So there there isn't. You didn't have the same luxuries as you have today. You just didn't. Um, my my guys are ten and nine, and they're going to be. Uh, I would I would 
I would guess to, to say that they're going to be indoors people. Oh. Simply because, you know, we would be, this is it, get up, and you're outside. Camps, you know, there were camps of certain varieties way back when, but now you can find everybody's running a camp during the summer months when you weren't going to school and all those kinds of things. You didn't have those kinds of luxuries. So out you went. So the playing of is very much all of the things that stories are told about, right? So stickball and road hockey and baseball and all that. So whether I was or whether I wasn't, those are the things you just did. Yeah, because it was more like um, creative play that you kind of yeah. went to your buddy and said, hey, let's do this today. Oh, yes, and get I... off that lawn because of the tag games and knocking chestnuts off the neighbor's tree that were landing on his car and all those kinds of like <laughs> You just, <laughs> trouble would find you. You wouldn't go looking for trouble. Maybe that's different today. I don't know if that's the case or not now. But uh, you don't, have, you know, when you're into bands and tobogganing because of lawsuits, and you're you can't play road hockey until recently back in Hamilton because of concerns and liabilities yeah. and on and on and on. Like there's, we've got a whole ton of rules for whatever reasons we believe that they are in the best interest of the majority. There's the debatable topic, right? So you just did what you did. And, yeah. And. The, the the passion to play was was garnered by the people around you. So I still I can name you folks from way back on Ray Street that I'm kind of like you know, I wonder what he's doing. Like a guy named Tony Daly. Sorry Tony, but you just got <laughs> mentioned if you ever listen to this. But he was the chestnut knocker down guy down the street kind of thing. And all the way along, I still see a lot of those folks um, that just got into as you say creative play where the opportunity presented itself. So. We still stay in touch with a lot of those folks. Today, relationships are, I'm not sure where they're derived sometimes. Like, you know, with the electronic and digital world, cross-connecting to f people across the world is fantastic. But in your own neighborhood, mm -hmm. you, you, don't, you, know, you, you don't see that happening in a community when we're seeking community. It's, it's kind of a paradox kind of description, isn't it? Yeah. We seek community, yet we don't, you can be in a, a, a compound, if you would, in any in any sort of geographical area in Ontario, and never know the people that are directly living beside you. It's true. So it's true. It's strange. It, I find it strange, and sometimes that's a, a difficult thing for kids to grow up in because their connections. Um, you want to just just go down the street with your bike and go to your friend's place, but there's a whole list of the whole contingency list of. Did you check the front door and are the tires flat? Do you have the whistle and do you have, like, it's a tough and different environment when it comes to that stuff, so. So um, when you were young, were you, would you say you were a good student? Did you like school? Yeah, um, I, I guess I was seeking, if I would recall, like particularly through um, latter ends of elementary school into middle school, and we changed schools at that time from one component to the other, and, and that doesn't always happen anymore. Um, I, I, I probably seeking, you know, a seeking a gratification of being recognized as putting in the effort right. that turned into a result. I, I, you know, do your best, and good things will happen, kind of thing. But you're seeking that, uh, you're seeking that recognition from the from the leaders at that time who were, were always your teachers. Right. You know, where you're recognized and they're appreciating that. And that turned into 
schooling, if you would, marks and things like that. Eh? And so I know that I read um, you played basketball and volleyball, but mm -hmm. at university you decided to choose volleyball. But when you think of like your earlier days with sport, um, did you start out in those sports or you probably started out in other oh, team sports, Yeah, right? so I started out, it was it's basically baseball, stickball kind of mindset. Not a lot of soccer at that time. Um, that has really ramped up in the 20, late 20th century, early 21st century in my opinion. Um, anything you could do with, that was relatively cheap. So stickball turned into baseball. Yeah. Hockey, with some help, turned into hockey, like ice hockey. Um, but that was all helped, in my opinion, subsidized, parents finding money and everybody driving everybody else's kids. And house league was, you know, was involved in that whole thing. So basketball and volleyball didn't any, really enter into any of this until middle school. And a guy, a, a, a physical education teacher named Bill Sprague, I still remember this to this day. Um, we we were exposed to everything. Yeah. It's like, you know, scoop ball and lacrosse. Scoop ball turned into lacrosse that turned into football that turned into, like, just a different level of exposure than perhaps they have the luxury of doing today because of other sort of constraints and whatnot, I think. So the, the full speed was high school when it started in terms of those. And so when you're in high school, um, did you have like more success in basketball or more success in volleyball? Or you just love being on a team and participating? Like what is it that, that drew you to well, play? Yeah, the undertow immediately is is the camaraderie you seek with whatever. I was on the band too. And played. Oh, you were? Oh, yeah. <laughs> through And it ended up through university. You're playing. in the band in university? No, not the band, in university, <laughs> uh, professionally for 10 years. Through really? Oh, yes. Um, with... With people that I met, some I met through sport, others are really kind of, yeah, probably most most all of them through or around sport. The discussion of sport, something that brought sort of like-mindedness together. And then, quite frankly, you meet girls in the band. <laughs> Is that why you did that, Tim? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> right? And then a love of it through, and we had a Cordomage and uh, Brenda Uchimaru in high school uh, at Sherwood, this is in Hamilton, uh, which in my opinion was probably one of the premier places for, from a music point of view. Well then the music took over. The girls were still important, but the music took <laughs> over and we morphed that into a, a professional gig for 10 years. Wow, um, I didn't know that about you. <laughs> yes, it's, 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 it's known, but I wouldn't say it's a conversational piece that comes up that often, right? Uh, I still have the instruments. What did you play? Uh, in the in the professional piece, bass, guitar, and trombone, because it was a kind of a Chicago flavor. Yeah. Uh, in concert band, it was euphonium or baritone, right? And and jazz band or stage band was the trombone. And that's but that's that's how I and so you can see the impetus. Well, there were you know there were lots of girls in band. <laughs> Where there was, it's almost like co-ed volleyball. Yeah. You get to meet, right? And that's true. that's facilitating probably many relationships, <laughs> if, you know, and I'm pretty close to probably accurate on that. But that's how that started in those, at that point of your life too, you're all over the place with that kind of thing, but from a relationship point of view. And then that just, it went from there and lifelong friends um, from that component and from sport. You know, to the point where I still see, I've been through births and deaths 
with all of those people in different fashions. So the whole cycle of life, right, where you build things that it's kind of arguably hard to find today, where you you build learn to, you learn to trust and yeah. build that. You learn to face adversities and decide whether you're going to be stronger or require assistance. Right now, like it's it's, it's an interesting. Does life mirror sport or does sport mirror life? And I've, you know, Buddha and debate. Yeah. <laughs> not sure. In this day and age, if I can pinpoint that as easily as I could 20 years ago when you and I first met. Yeah. Uh, um, the concepts of learning to be organized, learning about discipline, facing adversity, sport allowed us to play out some of the things we might see in life in my opinion yeah I mean I have nothing to base this on and all the sport sociologists perhaps maybe want to back me on this I don't know but now I kind of look at sport and I go are we learning in sport or are we learning now in life like it's it's I go now I see in sport some stuff that I don't want to see that I you now see like and you learn this through the eyes of kids yeah where, you know, I learn, and, and my eldest has uh, some interesting challenges as he goes along that he's that he's dealing with. But sport really brought out the challenges that he has that he's inherited from a life point of view. Um, we teach kids for as parents, hands off, yeah. right, and protect your own. Probably to a place where they learning how to trust is a real difficult thing when you're not seeing a massive cross section of people because inherently of our, our differences in our communication systems and all that kind of stuff today. Again, just strictly opinion. So what do you, where do you learn how to trust? Yeah. Sport allowed you to do that. If, if you're in sport for those right pieces. Yes. Right. Where, you know, we need to be physically active. Let's get into sport. I don't buy that. If you want to be physically active, you've got all kinds of chance. But if you want to learn about people and humanity, then get into sport. And get in particularly, and it, even in individual sport, you have to have an infrastructure and a support staff. You have to learn how to deal with coaches and officials. You have to learn how to deal with doctors and, and help around those kinds of things. So you still have to do that. So you, you can do that in individual sport. You want to be physically active, separate the two and, and go about your physical activity. Right. You know, that kind of thing. But is sport still exposing us to the opportunity? I think it is, which answers the question why I think I, it's, I'm still in it as a vocation as well. Yeah, because, you know, 30 years, that's a long time to stay passionate about mm -hmm. it and continue to push forward. Do you think now compared to when you first started coaching, is your level of passion, desire, drive the same, or has it changed, altered, or shifted? I think it's changed, and I think it, it would shape itself in probably all of your descriptions. I think it's there's times when it's not been, um, not been as, I've, I'll use the term, I haven't been as passionate, mm -hmm. and there's times when it's been very passionate. Um, I don't think you can stay. I don't think you can stay steady state passion. Yeah. I think you have to learn what the um, inspirations are around you that that drive passion. I, I don't think passion is the. I think inspiration comes from people. So do you think that over time, then your inspiration has changed? Absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, like kind of like what drove you when you first started coaching to what drives you now is probably very different. Very much so. Uh, you have to be you have to be selfless to appreciate the work and the effort you put into sport. If you are, if you, you know, if you're selfish as you go, initially that will fuel a fire of outcome and wins and all those kinds of things. Um, but if that consumes you, because wins and losses will, we'll lose more in our in our lifetime than we'll ever win. We know yeah. that. So you'll get consumed by not winning, and or consumed by losing. If I were to use a term, if you're selfless. You're in it as part of the process. You see the satisfaction through everybody else's eyes. Uh, many people walk in the office and go, "Well, you don't have your, this is up and the wind's up and the, the." But what I have, what I keep very important to me is all the teams over all of the years, and when we have the opportunity, as my memory will fail me, <laughs> I get to see people. You know, from 1989, I, like Paul Kozlinski just retired. Paul Kozlinski was one of the first assistant coaches with Tres Quigley when we went to San Diego, and Susie Bourgeois, and on, on, I can ah. all of those things. Patty Cox and yeah. uh, all of them. The, you, it becomes through there how it went through your eyes, how, like you, your clarity of your time here is crystal clear. But I remember you. I don't remember. I couldn't tell you. The, the time or the year when you blew your ACL. Yeah. I knew you blew your, like, that was <laughs> that was a life-changing piece for you. Yeah. Right? And I probably can't tell you how we did in those three years you were part of that. Like, I'm sure we were we were always pretty darn able. Yeah. So our, our success pieces were probably, in the whole outcome piece, pretty reasonable. But look at you now. Isn't that fantastic? Like I, those are my. It's the number of graduates. Um, it's the success of the in this particular instance the women around me that have gone through this. But I coached men for three years before I coached. Yeah. It. I still see those guys. Um, but I, that. But that leads me to a question too. You're coaching men uh, for three years, and then you switch to women. Like it's interesting that you'd make that switch because. It's all money. Oh, is that what it is? It was all money. Yeah. Because, and, oh, you were going to get paid more coaching the women. That's right. Oh, that's interesting. As you, as you recollect, we you and I may have talked about this just in passing, but the impetus to that change in the professional part of this whole thing was uh, an opportunity to, to, to move over, coach the women initially for more money, and then professionally there were some changes that were going to happen that might have led to more opportunity Right, because there's your life and there's a living. Yeah, <laughs> and we've got to have kind of the two a little bit enough of for a long enough time that you can kind of self-generate or let it kind of take care of itself. But that's really the only piece of that. Um, I was still coaching some high school at the time. I was coaching the men, and I was coaching the the girls half of that high school piece. Again, that was more they needed a coach. Right, and I kind of got into some of those kinds of things as we were going. Um, and in passion for the game, I never saw the game different. It's the same rules for both of you. The net heights are a little bit different when the argument continues. Um, but the game and its playing, there are required similarities. And yeah. certainly there are 
are differences that you know that we can elaborate on as we're proceeding. And again, opinion or professionally, as in terms of the evidence and the research, there are just differences, right? But the initial piece was, right? I got this much money. I need some well, help. Want to come do it? And I went. Yeah, well, and because you're also at a stage where it's kind of the beginning of your career of coaching, yeah. right? So I remember when I was at the beginning of my career, I would I would have gone for the money for sure. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Absolutely. Like it's like, sure, I have all this student debt. I need to pay it off. This is a good solution. Oh, debt and <laughs> staying at home. And uh, I was in the f- years prior to the women's team, um, I was hired by remarkable man Bill Fowler and then all of his successors from there were all influential in my in my leadership styles and my upbringing and, and and the wisdom they brought to to life really and Bill said here we're gonna get you to do this and he laid out this long contract I still probably have that before I have the one I have today which I'm not sure anyone could find if they tried right but Bill said we want you to do and he had all these big lists and one of them was the men's team so I had all this workload, and then the men's team. Yeah. And how ironic I will find it that when I actually retire in the next cycle, probably five or six years, I have 65 kind of on my radar, and then the government can start paying, <laughs> right, as long as and when pension and all that. But when I first started out, right, I had all of this, and I'm going to end, as of this year, I will be a full-time coach for the next whatever, with no other inherent department workload so far, but... We have a new athletic director coming in, so that could change. So I'm, I don't have clubs anymore. And in 07, I lost the sport fitness school, which is for kids, and uh, intramurals, which is the general university population, yeah. and things like that, and still coaching. You phrase it as you lost because you wanted to keep it? You loved those pieces? Well, yeah. They all, brought, they all brought different things. So it, was, it wasn't... It, there was no... Um, there was, there's no sadness because I lost them. Okay. We're, we're about to employ people because of the loss, in my right. opinion. Um, and so if I leave it better than I found it, which has always been a mantra that I think a lot of my colleagues in volleyball have always, if we leave it better than we found it, then that's all you can do. Because yeah. it's going to go on without us. It's, it's just reality. It's yeah. not a morbid comment. It's just reality. It's the real thing around us. So we're probably going to hire more people, and I know we are, because of... Uh, shifting workloads and stuff and then does that put more responsibility and onus on us to be a performance-based team in the 21st right. century I'd like to say yes yeah because we, we can't we can't dumb down the competition element of sport but we have to apply it in a in a, in a fashion such that the, the people involved in it are better at the end of it right so we can't be afraid of competing yes yeah but you know that's actually that's actually an interesting point because um even at volleyball canada they brought in a new coach from australia to teach the players about winning because canadians were too nice sometimes or we don't have that Uh, i got yeah like it's not just okay to participate right like your mentality should be yes it's great to get there but yes i want to win yeah Compare us to our to our close company south of the border. Yeah. And the innuendos that are always tossed around about Americans and Canadians and Canadians are too sorry and A and this and Americans will sell their firstborn child perhaps. I'm not sure of all of that. <laughs> but survival of the fittest and if we put a table, you know, 
establish a, a round table of, of experts. The survival of the fittest piece, now more than ever, is coming straight in our face. Yeah. With the importance of being a global community to survive, depending on who you talk with, right? So, is this real? It was in we constant discussion and people taking different avenues of approach, but um, if we if we aren't, aren't conscious of this in a collaboration, then the survival of the fittest thing simply because of that will consume the will consume the population before the climate does. If people are you know rallying to be the top of the highest mountain and all those kinds of things. We'll discard everything that is most valuable to us. The the scholars around the world to, to make that a practical application have the biggest challenge they've ever had, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Again, where I go. In sport, you can suspend that reality and compete to be the best, but at what cost to the people around you and to yourself? You have to be conversant with what those pieces mean and how you influence those. Yeah, It is still a game. And we, we talk often about this. And when I say that, we will compete always to be the best we can. But how far along do you go before you suspend, right, the the general rules and regulations of humanity in my opinion so you know we've seen all of the it's captured now all around us in every sport we can possibly you know use use of uh drug enhancements Mm. you you know what what levels do we go to right that the win is influenced by outside parameters so dramatically that we suspend the rules of the game. Yeah. Isn't that what's happening around us a lot of times when we're trying to instruct our kids? There are no consequences. So, yeah, you you're take a banned substance and you're suspended for a year, but you can still play. Okay, that must be okay to do that then. Yeah. Like there's really no... And, and finding that, that line that, that we're trying to hold on to or cross is, is really, really difficult. Like, yeah, it almost feels like discipline or punishment is a bad thing and should be avoided at all costs. But if I were to think about my own youth, (laughs) discipline and punishment are probably some of the things that instilled some of the values I have today. Could be, yeah. Right? And I wouldn't argue that for myself the same way. I would reflect on that the same way you are. Yeah. Um, You know, the old cliches, there's numerous cliches about, you know, touching the hot stove, you're going to burn Like Those are common sense pieces. But somewhere along the line... Well, if I if I don't really touch it, but I just get close enough <laughs> to it, maybe I won't, you know, feel the wrath of the yeah. France, right? Kind of thing. So the limits are changing, and and you know we have to be able to adapt to that kind of, you know, uh, schools are it's more difficult for them to to you know we use the term fail, hold back, right? And so our kids better because of it or not because of it. Is society better because of it or not? Because I'm sure that that round table of scholars, it would be an interesting fly in the wall yeah. to be able to listen to some of the conversations that go to that. Because I don't know if it's in the best interest of, well, you have to be in grade or you have to do, or you have to, okay. Um, if that, if in order to continue in society, you have to have a high school diploma. Right. 
how do we help everybody be successful and can we find our way through that like it's never a dull moment when it comes to those discussions for yeah sure. so what are you finding like um like uh then versus now what are some of the biggest challenges with coaching like is it attracting great players is it the team dynamics like or does is it a trend that changes every year um the biggest shift is that it's it's more information more often with more urgency mm. there's just more so we're responding to different um, effectors more often and more frequently so that whole more concept there doesn't ever seem to be enough time to pause recover and allow the allow the head and the emotions in the body to respond so that I call that maturing or, right. or, or you know and, and in the maturing part we're, it seems it seems as if they're we're constantly under information pressure, and to get out the back end of university where I spend most of my time, we're under tremendous information pressure when it comes to outputs. Right. So every little thing is now, you know, in up for discussion, interpretation, perspective. Uh, you can find opinions and you know, professional and otherwise, at your fingertip every day, when you just, instead of using your phone to make a phone call now, you're using it to do everything else but make the phone call. In fact, you probably don't make a phone call anymore because you're going to send somebody a text. It's true. So we've, for the first time in my career, entering our 31st year, we are conscious of, um, of suspending phone use during a team meal. Oh. We're just starting this, yes. just, and we've heard this from all different sources, simply to, to drive conversations and sharings. Yeah. Think of your own personal world or a family life that it, it, it kind of parallels if, that, if we're using sport and life in that, yeah. in that sort of, with that position on that, it's kind of the same thing. And so when do we ever... To me, recovery and adaptation occur when there is a moment to reflect. Yeah. However brief that moment is, you know, how was that sandwich I had for lunch versus I got to eat that sandwich, drink that coffee, make that phone call, send that text. I got to get in my car and I got, it's constant, a constant barrage where I go, you know, I'm a somewhat of a sports scientist. I would refer to myself as that as a coach. <laughs> With as many years of experience you are, for sure. <laughs> right? But when you get stronger, it's because your adaptation to the work you just did. Yeah. So if you're lifting or doing some strength work or you're running or whatever, you'll notice your improvement or how you feel being better in the adaptation part, which is the recovery cycle. Right? So it doesn't mean we're off of the phone, but maybe we're only on the phone certain times of the day yeah like maybe overnight you turn it off yeah a lot of people are doing that actually Trying. like a lot of thought leaders um like super successful business people are like 6 p.m my phone is off yeah i don't touch it again till the next morning i don't do my work email over the course of a, unless i'm traveling with the team i wouldn't do it i don't do it now over the weekend yeah so i'm off on friday now it's still receiving information so my email when i walk in on a monday it's receiving it for whatever sources, all the good sources and all the not good sources. But I don't have my my work email directed to my home address, right? And I, I, I actually took my work email off my phone. 
so I don't even get it anymore. Because you would just no, you just go all and the it time. gives you peace of mind, to be honest. And I was just um, I recently uh, saw someone whose daughter goes to Mac, and I said, "Oh my God, does she love it? I love my time at McMaster." And she goes, uh, "She thinks it's okay. She goes home every weekend." What? I'm like, why? <laughs> why would she go home every weekend? But I think the phone and the level of connection has changed also the in-person experience mm -hmm. where she is not connecting with people here mm -hmm. because she's using her phone and connecting with mm -hmm. her high school friends. So the thought of staying here for the weekend, it might be new opportunities or new experiences, but we're humans. Mm -hmm. We love the familiar, mm -hmm. the behaviors we have. Yep. And so it makes it harder to break away, I think. I, but I, part of me feels sad for that because I just think you're missing out on so much more, you know? Yeah. And it, how does that help us? What challenges does that pose? Yeah. I, I don't think it, I'm not convinced it hurts us mm -hmm. as a whole, but it, in the isolationism that that creates, are we as rich as, as perhaps like those? I admire those people who are want to see the world. Yeah, a lot of people now can see the world from the from the desk, mm -hmm. um, and that might be okay. But I think the argument is still there when you smell a, a waterfall or you see it and, yeah. and you feel it. You no, know, like our our sen our sensation response is is curtailed a little bit. Just if we watch everything virtual, mm -hmm. like everything virtual is entering into the, you can, you can have a big, you know, the, if we watch the old, the old movies, Total Recall and Arnie and all those kinds of, where it's all virtual, like Minority Report, Tom Cruise, and I go on with some of that stuff. As an entertainment piece, you're looking going, well, wow, that's, that could be, that could be life. Yeah. And in fact, it is. You put on a set of glasses and you can disappear. Why? Because you can't get away. Why? Because you're inundated with information. Why? Because we have to move faster than the person beside us. Right? And essentially, in our response to all of those kinds of things, I go, are those the next challenges? In sport, we see some of the same kinds of things. Um, the purists want volleyball to be, you know, um, the old side out three and a half hour matches, <laughs> right. best of five, and you're still playing them. Versus, you know, rally scoring and point scoring as it is right now. Um, they both had influences. For sure. They both had influences. And we can debate forever on the impact of some of those differences and all that kind of But what is the reason we play the game is one thing. What is the reason the game is being played is another thing. That's right. And so I, I don't, you know, my professional, my professional reputation with this comment, but... Why do we have to have volleyball? Does anybody ask that question? It, it's a game everybody I know believes they can play. Yes. At some, <laughs> in some fashion and somehow. It's and you can play true. it in the water. You can play it with two people, nine people. You can play it on sand. You can play it on hardwood. You can play Grass. it in the snow now. Yeah. You can play it on ground. All of that says play first, compete second. Now, the compete comes out. And it doesn't matter whether it's a beer game in the Dominican or an Olympic match between two world powers. There's always going to be an outcome that enters into that whole piece and what we're playing for. And that's a, that we, we can't be afraid of that either. But the game is to be played. Yeah. Right? And so there, there will be a continued debate on how all of that's 
and how and what we want the game to do is, you know, a discussion of the world, the foremost authorities in the world that, you know, we have charge and trust to kind of shape the game as we proceed. Um, why do we have to introduce it to kids at seven years? Because it's a great game to play still. Yeah. And when you really get, when you're really down, like, so this spins back to your, your, your question about passion. It's easy to get passionate when I describe it that way, where you're looking at the camps we do. All, I, I don't have the same energy as I did. That gets the hard, that's the harder part. My recovery time is higher, and I'm aware of that, so I try and make sure that, you know, I have good help around me, tremendous help right. around me, that will carry the torch as we're moving along. Why? Because this is a great game to play. We've blended it to a university in an education model, as the rest of Ontario and Canada has, and the United States for the most part as well. But Europe is much different, right? Still play, but there's always, if you ask anybody, Europeans generally compete with more intensity immediately, right? even if it's a friendly. Yes, it's true. Sometimes. Or they dismiss it because there's no outcome on it. No, the outcome doesn't really matter, right? Canadians are... You know, described as, as as dabbling, but also very good at sometimes. Why? Because maybe may we just have a different perspective, not a better perspective, but a different perspective on all of that kind of stuff. It's okay to be the best. It's okay to, yeah. but you have to understand. Uh, one of the players years ago's grandfather said to me, "You have to understand how to lose before you can appreciate how to win." One hundred percent, for sure. And how do we? If we constantly are rewarding. For whatever outcome, yeah, and not basically positioning the comment I made earlier about you know we'll lose more than we win, right? It, it's okay to understand that if if you lost and did your best, right? There are going to be people that are better than you. Yeah, you know, yes, that's actually a super important lesson to learn. It is, and it's lost. Yeah, because you never lose. <laughs> there, there are some true. athletes that go through the. That haven't haven't ne have never started, or sorry, have have never not had to start in a starting lineup. Right. So is it a failure if you didn't start when you walk into university? I, every year we deal with that here. Yeah. Every year, because some of the best uh, skilled and most talented players uh, arrive here, having never ever sat out a match. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. Um, and so where do you learn that? Well, you're a probably about to learn it. Why? Because our volume is higher, our frequency is higher, intensity is higher. It's just very different. And so is that a failure? You feel like it's a failure at the time. And so how do we get, do we ever get past that? Yeah. Coach, how come you're not good enough? When I, I we ran a showcase yesterday for 45 young athletes uh, here at Mac um, that have somewhere in their, in their heart and in their ability, they might have Mac listed right, from an academic and athletic perspective. And one of my comments was, right, how do you feel when I tell you, and we're in the midst of a, a drill or something, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. Did I say, Janet, that's not good enough? You know enough. how I would feel. <laughs> I, I, and, and, I, and I, in the reliability of that response, I would depend on that. Yeah, yeah. Right, I would expect that from you. And yeah. if I didn't see that response, my first question would be, are you okay? How's your day? You know, you look a little off. 
that becomes part of our tenets that I suggested from our team point of view. It's learning about that stuff, right? Yeah, but it's also like as a coach, having the ability to understand that different players react in different ways, Absolutely. right? It, this game is has a set parameter. The people in it, not even close. Yeah. There are some in, inherently needed requirements to be successful and to eventually influence the winning and loss column. Yeah. Absolutely. Does that... Does that launch coaches or stifle coaches? Got to be really careful with that because we don't, we cannot predict outcome, but we can predict response given our relationship building parts. Now I'm talking very, I refer to many times as this is too cerebral for most players. It's not got anything to do with intelligence from a cerebral yeah. point of view. No, no, no. It's the delivery mechanism that I try and get people to, to understand. My passion Right gets gets uh, my passion gets fueled by the people that are around me, one and how those people are about to influence the community they're in, both volleyball and other. Well, you know my responsibility is the volleyball court. If they walk away going, I have a better perspective or different perspective that leads to a better uh, response because of our, our experiences in the volleyball court, then we've done well. If we've won a national championship in doing that, then we are the cat's meow. Yeah. <laughs> right? But more often than not, following, uh, you know, significant outcome victories and things like that, it's a hangover afterwards. We didn't make the playoffs last year, and I was reminded it wasn't since, like, 2001 or something like that. I can't remember. What the, what the, it doesn't matter. You you reflect to the place where you go and in my case what I inspire hopefully inspire people around me to do is what are we about to do differently to try and influence that in a fashion that we're more satisfied with yeah. versus we better double check everything because we just suck yeah in terms of you know we're not this so after 30 years and then and beyond this it's constantly looking at like this is awesome Think about how many opportunities and who gets those opportunities and try and understand that this is, you are in a tremendous place for the number of people vying for the same things you are. No different than getting into this institution now. Yeah. Which is tougher, tougher, tougher. I wouldn't have gotten in. Yeah. When I came years ago, I wouldn't have gotten in if we were in the same standards we are today. Well, how do we, because that standard keeps rising, right? When is enough enough is a difficult question. Yeah. And and it's funny because it's if it's all measured just on a mark standard, some people can get amazing marks, but are they good people? I don't what, know. What constitutes a good person? Exactly. You know, it's the chicken and the egg and the constant philosophical debate of, my comment is always, do the best. Be the best you can be. Yeah. And in that best you can be, how are we evaluating that? Be careful not to just be stuck on the we won component. Yeah. I referred to last year as a bit of a bridge year because I had some outstanding athletes in terms of expertise and wisdom and maturation the year before. Um, and it's probably as difficult a group to coach as I've ever had. And they won. And who's to say? Yeah. Right. Last year we weren't as experienced, so our, our you know our, our exposures to those learning opportunities in sport. Um, I hope we'll evaluate that this year. We don't evaluate that last year. 
right? We were disappointed, of course, you should be when those things happen. How do you respond to that disappointment, right? When you're just told that's not good enough, mm-hmm. how do you respond, Janet Lewis? Yeah. Easily to predict for Janet Lewis. <laughs> More difficult to predict now because not a lot of people, right, perhaps some of the best at best performers have ever experienced that's not good enough. Yeah. I just told a national team youth player, if I said to you, you're not good enough, and I know you're not good enough, because there's others coming that are as good or better than you are in sheer performance, what's your response? If you've never heard that comment, emotionally, it can take the wind out of you. Yeah. If you don't have any relationship in the tank with that individual before you deliver that comment, you have to be selective. And you have to get to know your audience. Yeah. And every good coach is able to do that. It's true. But, you know, I think back to, um, like, when I was in grade nine, I had a gym teacher as a volleyball coach, Mrs. Scott. And I was always a basketball player. People knew me as a basketball player. And I tried out for the volleyball team. And after the tryouts, last tryouts, she pulled me aside and she said, you know you're not really good enough to stay on the team, but you play on the basketball team. All your friends are on the team. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep you on the team, but you're probably not going to play a lot. And I remember going home thinking, what? <laughs> <laughs> what is she talking about? But you know, it actually pushed me to work harder. And then next year I don't even play junior volleyball. I play senior volleyball. Now, does she know her audience? Exactly. Right. I, what did she do that intentionally? I don't know. Right? Now, again... Was I a slacker <laughs> in the tryout? Was I a slacker? Well, did, again, did you, uh, in a selection, did you perform the best of your ability given that short window of expectation? Yeah. That's... It's again, interesting. Well, again, in, in, I, we spend an awful... I, I will speak for the, my, the whole, if I could. Yeah. I think we spend an awful lot of time trying to evaluate how how we make, how we go through selections. Now you can even listen to the terminology I use after all this time versus most will use, they'll say, well, I'm going to tryouts. I'm trying out. Mm-hmm. I talk about it as selection. The worst case scenario for an athlete that walks into our room when we, and we still run open selections, although we're in a very heavily talent identification and recruiting to come and try and pursue a win at a high level. So if you're evaluating over a course of years, it's easier to make those selections. But I still do believe that there is a room or is a position for, come on out. We don't know who you are. I've just arrived in the country. Yeah. You can fill in a whole lot of what ifs. Or they could be in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, right? kinds of things. Yeah. Right? Where we see someone who has a tremendous foundation because sport really is fun- functions on very, very common foundations in every game. You must have a physical proponent to your foundation. Yeah. Right? In any game you have. Right? So if, if you're... Our, you know, let's take the libero out of volleyball years ago. Okay, we've had the libero to make it more entertaining. Yeah. Length and rallies, all those kind. Of, now the libero is here. And I'm like, do you have to have a libero? It's a good question. You don't. Yeah. And you may not need to. But it gives you free substitutions, so it is of advantage to perhaps go down that path. But historically, even to date, what's the libero in physical description look like? Yeah. Small, fast, this, that, energetic. That doesn't have to be that circumstance, but we have a physical foundation to every sport. 
you know, a football player and a hockey, and you can go on and on and on. Steering people, you know, men or women in this particular instance, towards a particular sport based on their physicality happens at what ages? Yeah. You know, we, just, we talked about some of those kinds of things, right? So in some cases, they've been steered in wrong places. In other cases, they've, they've arrived at uh, a collaboration simply because they've always been part of it. Like what makes the best volleyball player isn't necessarily an athlete who's only played volleyball. Yeah, that's Think right. Think of your own background. Um, it's really difficult to make those cross references to other sports where you've only played volleyball. Have you ever done this or have you done? No, I've never done that. So, oh. are you finding? Are you finding um, as athletes come in now, are more and more of them um, one sport athletes? Because yeah. there's that big debate too. Like more of them, yes. Yeah, because it 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 seems like the debate is it's actually better for you to, to play different sports just because your body then works in different ways and you can pick up different I, things I still that you agree. bring to it, right? And, and my kids don't play volleyball. They're 9 and 10. I'm sure I'm going to take it on the chin in terms of the critical <laughs> outcome of that circumstance based on the fact that both of their parents play the game. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be great at the game. Yeah. Or that they'll love it. Exactly. And yeah. so what do they get out of it? Are they going to be pros? Here's the debate, and you can read all the leadership material you want on this because it's a constant discussion item in that is it, is it, should we put them in early, you know, the Williams sisters, and you can go back and, you know, you know there's a, a lot of good literature on some of those. How does that occur, point of view, like who has the best thises and thats, and when do you start, and how, you know, how specific do you become in your yeah. training? Um, gosh, I wish I had the answers to all of that. But sport in general is forcing that question to have at least be asked in order to be answered early enough to kind of not. But it's not, it's more rare for that. Oh, wow. When did you start playing? Yeah. Two years ago. We have an athlete on the team in selection already this year coming in for us at a university level who we have no idea, but she, her physical her physical foundation and her cross elements in track and field as a high jumper, we're kind of going, hmm, we're going to spend some time on this. Well, yeah. it's got everybody else up in arms because well, she's clearly better than her. Right. And she's also coming to be a master. And she, right, like with her, why are we not picking her? Well, because in our expertise, there is a benefit of the athlete who doesn't have any grounding in this, any predetermined outcomes in this, we're going to find that out versus the one who's been playing for five years and we're not seeing that big an improvement over the yeah. five years that maybe she's been involved. Okay, so you're rolling the dice. I am. <laughs> but, but maybe I'm on your roster. Yeah, and on your roster, maybe you have the space to roll the dice, right? Well, like, And that in, in itself is... is from the outside looking in, what are you going to do with this many athletes versus that many athletes? Well, it depends on resources and, and training opportunities and, and short and long-term expectations. The key is, I'd like to think the key is that there's a transparency to arriving at those decisions for the audience that you have, which is specific to the athlete, not anybody else's conjecture yeah. and opinion. Yeah. Where you go... You can toss that around because you're a volleyball coach or this and that and the other thing as much as you want. But you cannot determine what I'm thinking when I can't even determine what I'm 
I tried, Tim. I tried. Every athlete, Janet, has heard that same thing. Okay, so you're not happy with something. Why don't you try telling me what you're not happy with? And it starts out like this. Well, I don't think you have really given me a fair opportunity. And I don't think you think I'm better than... It's, okay, stop thinking what I'm thinking. Because you don't know. Yes. Let's Unless you talk, ask. Right. And then we get into a discussion about, I think what you need to do is get in the weight room for the seven times that you haven't been. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, yeah, but, you know, and then excuse after excuse after excuse instead of, do you not think that that is going to directly affect your performance and your playing time? And the two don't go hand in hand. Yeah. Not at my level. I don't give a care if you never play a match in your whole career. But I do give a care if you don't play a match. Because if that's not happening, we've not made good decisions. We've not moved things in the proper fashion. And everyone thinks, well, you know, you know why are they starting? Because they're better than you are. Oh, my goodness. Did I just say they're better than you are? <laughs> Does that in turn sound like you're not good enough? Yeah. Okay. You have a jersey on. Like, there's always perspective everywhere in every position on this whole thing. If this is a house league team, and I love it, and you pay a certain amount of money, and everybody else pays the same amount of money, there's the same number of games, and you should play the same amount of time. Unless someone has said to you, if you can win the championship, fill in the blank. You get a new Mercedes. <laughs> Where it becomes professionally motivated in an amateur world because outcome becomes so significant. Well, coach, if you don't play me in my grade 12 year, I might not get seen by the university groupings, da 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 And that means I might be restricted in my ability to influence a university team. Those, those discussions and, and conversations happen very frequently yeah. at many, many levels. I get asked that question too. Like if I play in a team that isn't top 10, am I going to be noticed? Well, you can get noticed very easily. Just do the right things to, to, to make sure that you're making people aware. Yeah. If, you, if you're if you 6'8", you're 6'8", no one's taking that away from you. If your practice room isn't, isn't robust enough to help you develop, then you better look at how does that get better. So I can't move, I can't drive, I can't go. Okay, so is the coach familiar enough to be able to recruit? You know, how, how developed is that going to get? And do you have the time? Like it's a constant discussion on all of those things. And, and I go, it, you can just interchange the, the name of the sport. Yeah. It should be the same. Are some sports um, readily more available? Yes. Yeah. I, I think they are. I, th I really do think they are. Um, well, it comes down to what you said earlier, like cost. Like if you have a soccer ball, all you need is a ball on the field. You can go play, right? Throw the ball into a gymnasium right now and th throw a volleyball in a gymnasium right now. What do you think is going to happen still in this day and age? What is going to happen first most often? Basketball. And then <laughs> you can go down from there, right? Like yeah. Generally, if there's not a net up and there's not an you know inquisitive group, right? If you have someone who's passionate about the the game played being volleyball then there'll be those pockets of things and, and why do we keep doing that how do those people function and where do the satisfaction is what are they getting from that is it because they want to be you know Chatham ball hawks for years we're the team or you know you you know Scarborough Titans 
Scarborough Solars before Scarborough, but Scarborough Solars in our time, um, you know, and then you could get into the high school. Saunders out of London was always really good. And yeah. I think there was one that you played for that had some, <laughs> had some jamming yes. years ago. Some point in time. <laughs> right? And, 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 yeah, and, and so, you know, it'll be, there's a litany of people in our history that are going to continue to support, in our case, the volleyball world. Yeah. But the same, I, I believe the same elements still fuel those those coaches and leaders into getting involved in, in the game as a game. It's still, what does it bring to us? Is it, does it, you know, what does it instill in the athletes that we have as they're going along, right? That yeah. kind of thing, so. I don't know, like I think, I think for me, I always just loved the game. I loved all the components of the game, yeah. right? Um, for some people, maybe they play for different reasons, and you're probably seeing more of that too, right? And but I do think I do think that the one thing that sport did to me, and it doesn't matter what sport we're talking about, is it did encourage me to get a higher level of education. You know, when when I was in I think grade ten, I think we came here for a high school girls tournament. Yeah, it was well. Yeah, yeah, we would have come I'm here. Trying for, to remember who coached that team. Um, that Bobby was, Valeriat. Yes. Yeah, Bobby yes. Valeriat would have coached it. And, um, you know, Jennifer, my best friend, Jennifer and I at the same, at that time were in grade 10 playing mm. on the senior team. So we didn't necessarily get to play a lot, but you know, it was great to raise our level of skill yeah. and even just coming and having exposure at that age to a university tournament and a university campus made you think beyond where you were. Yeah. Right. So it made you think like, oh, I want to go there one day. And kids need those types of experiences so that they can think beyond, especially kids that are in more like underprivileged situations, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and I don't think anyone should feel responsible for being charged with um, really being available right across all bandwidths. Mm -hmm. But we should rely on a collaboration yeah. to hopefully understand that, you know, there's kids that might not get a chance to do this if it's not economically feasible. I think that's, in my opinion, volleyball has become a middle to upper class game. Yeah. Um, and it can come right down to just simply, there isn't a net on a park. Yes. Or I can't get to the bus to get to the Y to play, right? So we still rely heavily on schools to introduce, and that introduction doesn't doesn't generally come until re- still grade six-ish, middle school-ish. Yeah, and I think it would depend on... Economic pieces and all those kinds of... Because it's still that you're two at, poles teachers, and nets and all that kind of stuff. Still, yeah. yeah. And, and, and again, their exposures and what they... It's still how it filters into that whole, you know, exposure piece and whatnot. Um, as we go. So there's always more, you know, we're still going to, in the playing of the game of volleyball, it's, we're still going to need and, and, and should need the provincial drivers and mm-hmm. the regional drivers and the municipal drivers and the national drivers. And my comment always to most is we're still in an education delivery situation um, where in the perspective does that fit in your thinking? So Always dream big. Yeah. So if you still want to play pro and national team and all those kinds of things, but along the way, are we learning the right elements of that 
adversity and the exposure to those adversities. So, you know, again, it's, it's, it's extremely difficult um, when you're told you're not good enough. Yeah. But told at a place, like I think back to our relationship, and if I would have said, once that was St. Teresa's, wasn't it? No, it wasn't and from Midland. Midland Secondary. Midland yeah. Secondary. When Bobby brought you guys down, if the comment would have been then, you're not good enough, simply, you know, in the in the asking of the question. Yeah. I'm coming out next year, am I good enough to make this team? Well, you are good enough, but there's no opportunity. Or is very different than you're, you're not good enough. You're not tall enough. You're not fast enough. You're not big enough. Right? How can I influence that comment? Right? And are you ready to hear that comment? Yeah. Our coaches working through with youngsters where if we're just going along and playing and there's not, you know, there's never a perspective on, on, I think we have a sense of defeat in the game playing, but the capacity of the athlete, in this case, you know, the young person who is the athlete on influencing how that outcome can get shaped differently. Yeah. You know, so I, I see some of the best parents with kids that just, you know, they didn't, just didn't grow. Where they didn't lock all their eggs into the volleyball world for that one libero position that might happen. And again, it, can you can you pursue that and do you have enough will to make be flexible enough to go anywhere you can possibly go where there's an opportunity to play that position and study? Yeah. Versus, well, maybe it's another sport. You know, I've got some great friends that are, are in that mix right now where even the athlete who's probably could probably play two or three or four sports at another level as they're studying to support that journey, right? Yeah. And so it's it's not easy. It's it's certainly it's, it's not, not easy. easy. I think I think it's good for people that are in that position though, in the sense that if they can continue sport at a higher level it adds to their academic experience at the institution. It is a fact that those women who play university sport are uh, will graduate at a rate that is higher than those women who don't. That is not Tim's opinion. Mm. That is a fact from the sociologists, um, particularly at McMaster, of my good friend and colleague, Dr. Phil White. Oh, really? So we have the data. Yeah. Like he's done the work and I, I, I lean on him when I need to. I don't see him often as I would like to, or, or, or I, but I usually corner him on the golf course and go, why are we doing this? It's a very big question. Why yeah. are we doing, what happens if they take it away from us? You, well, know, you, know? you know, I would, I would also argue, I don't have any stats or data, <laughs> but based <laughs> on my own experience, I would argue that um, women who I have encountered in a business setting seem to be able to perform at a higher level if they have had some sort of athletic yep. experience at a higher level. Yep. They just seem to be able to work better in team, in a team environment. They seem um, a little bit better at the communication yep. piece and the leadership piece in that it is about the team succeeding. It's not about me succeeding. Yep. And so I would wonder if there's any information around that because well, I would find that fascinating. Observationally, simply check into the number of uh, corporate pieces that are team building motivated. Mm. We're going to go on a team builder. We're going to hire somebody to come and do some team building. And I, and I go, all power, all, you know, all power to you. 
but you're still going to have these the you know there you can categorize people into some different pieces of that whole thing and you know true colors and your personality type i used to teach that you can go on and on and on but you're going to have that flavor of individual who is self-motivated self-driven yeah versus the person who is the total collaborator and all the pieces in between so if we just made an observation of how many major corporations that are highly successful in the economy today that spent their time on trying to bring together mm-hmm. those those factions of their of their business that have to that have to collaborate and the people have to learn how to do that who've never had to do that yeah and then trying to you know trying to insulate that person who is all all for the in the outcome yeah. versus that person who's all for the process right and getting to to work together right with the same it's the same end goal yeah if we just did that i bet you the chart is high that's interesting you know, we're gonna we're gonna now we're gonna create a team it's, it's said for business oh, we're gonna, you know we're doing some team building and I'm going, <laughs> it's because it's needed <laughs> yeah like if, again how do we be how can we that's you know and again more cliches but you know together everyone achieves more yeah it's true it's true it can be true if if you have some basic elements that are leading you to the same place if that person doesn't believe in the end goal then it's time for a substitution <laughs> that's a good way it's to time put for it. and then doctors will talk about redirecting right yeah um, well, you know and for whatever reason you'll always run into those is this where you need to be have you spent enough time evaluating your inputs and your outcomes to determine if this is going to be of satisfaction in the long haul you know and what what is that driven by where in terms of making sacrifices along the way like it's never a dull moment it, it isn't it's like we're going to do this and this is how it's going to be and da 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 um there's no cookie cutter no. to this. No, it's like you always have a plan. Yeah, and I, my comment <laughs> yesterday was, with the best laid plans always, and some of the greatest plans probably ever, there was always flexibility and contingency built in. And isn't it ironic that it's also the time of year with, with you know, the some of the most significant moments in history with D-Day. Yeah. And if you were to look... In, in parallel sport to some of the plans that went on for that, the launch of those invasions and the adjustments that had to be made and the sacrifices that were inherently that occurred and et cetera, et cetera. You go, well, yeah, like if, if, if they didn't do that, would that have been the same outcome? No. Yeah. And you go, it's not a cookie cutter. Like it's not like this volleyball, this house can go piece of cake. It never goes that Sit way. Sit back, put it in the lineup, and <laughs> carry on, right? And then if we didn't win, it was a disaster because the plan was wrong. Like, that plan was pretty solid. You know, you have it's enough the implementation didn't score the enough points. Yeah. What happened? We didn't, you didn't win. We didn't score enough points. That's right. Why didn't you score enough points? We didn't serve the ball well enough. Didn't receive the ball enough. Like, it's, it's the game is a response to all the effort that goes into it. And when that effort culminates in success, well, there's the hangover isn't as dr- dramatic. Like if you if it all comes together and you you, you know here's the the big trophy yet biggest trophy yet there's another bigger trophy at the end of the day it, you know it's what we do in the game starts the day after yeah 
And so when you know you have room to improve, when you're at the top, it's hard to stay at the top. Yeah. You've got to really, you got to work, continue to work, continue to evolve and change and all that. But people are evolving around you. And, and so outcome become when the outcome is competed at a very, with a very narrow margin between the two teams on paper, it can either be really rewarding to the audience or the audience expectation is so high that it can be very, very disappointing if the outcome isn't as closely contested. And, and everybody knows that as a, as a, um, as a, an observer in an audience, when they've seen a really well contested game, you yeah. and I, you and yeah, I can yeah. probably name a few of our, you know, um, and it's not marred with uh, distractions. I call it, you know, yeah. behavior that you go, well, that's not required, like in fights and hockey, where you know we don't see that very often anymore, um, from a, just the sheer common sense safety point of view where you go you're protecting the you're protecting everybody you're protecting that 13 year old in the in the crowd who thinks it's okay to get in a bar to get in a, a fight on the corner of a street kind yeah of way. it's just you know we're just in a game of road hockey <laughs> that, like it, there's still Drop needs, the gloves. there still needs to be some of that inherently as part of it but you know closely contested and then not focused on the outcome you you remember those matches Oh, for sure, for sure. So we're uh, getting close to our time, but I have a couple of kind of rapid fire questions for you. Which means blue. my question is, yeah, blue. <laughs> the sky is blue. Um, which means my question is quick, but you can take however long to answer that you'd like. But you know, um, Tim, you know you have some Timisms. Yes, yeah. Do you know this? <laughs> it's been told to me several times. Actually, when I was here for the. Um, alumni game the girls were saying some of them and it reminded me i was like i forgot he used to say that so uh where did you learn those oh, are they some some have very few are original really oh yeah okay so i'm gonna throw out one um don't throw the baby out with the bath water yes that's i've heard that um, we probably have to Google because we can now. <laughs> and if we Googled, we would see some of the places it's probably. But at. you've said it since 1991, maybe before. Yeah, it's, yeah. So it's probably something, um, probably something that my God rest her soul, my mom would say too. Like, step back. This is not all bad. Oh, would she say that? Right, but she would say, "No, no, don't throw the whole thing out. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's very like you're tossing everything. This is the end of the world in volleyball as we know it because <laughs> I can't make a serve." Right. Well, there's you know there's parts of what's going on that you have to you have to maintain, and then you're not good enough in that area. You need to spend your time being better. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, maybe you need to rehearse. Maybe you need to focus more. Maybe you have to you you have to spend the time in the areas and it, you know, as a global, you can take that to every level. As a global, maybe our offense isn't suited for this particular group of athletes. So we're going to keep this part, right? But we may have to retool some of the other things. So the, the emotionally I use that often when I watch a player start to disintegrate <laughs> because they're struggling in one capacity yeah. and it's affecting everything else they're doing. So right. don't throw the whole, you know, my son here said, honey, don't throw that the, that all out. That coloring is awesome. Or that, you know, no, it's, you know, you know, and then we just, it's an emotional response that isn't coupled to any kind of cerebral response too, right? So you haven't thought this through. 
So that's where it comes from. Mm. So out of all the things that maybe your mom has said to you, what is probably the most memorable phrase or saying? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't know if I have an answer to that. Because <laughs> there's so many? Well, she coached. She coached. Oh, she did. Yeah, she was. A, she, she coached in baseball. She coached my sister, who's four years younger than I did. I helped her coach. You asked about my love for coaching. I was 15. She coached, and my sister would have been then 11, right? Her, her fastball team. Oh wow! So, as again, you learn by seeing and going. Like that woman had some chops. <laughs> well, and back then, were there really a lot of women coaching? Oh gosh, no. Right. And, uh, I'll, I'll I'll share your story where it the you know you start to build your responses about so it's never over till it's over. Yes. Is one that come to, came to mind when you asked me the question. I'm thinking, oh, so we're in Baldwin Park, which is part of California, to see my uh, her brother John, my uncle, of course, and uh, and we're going to see the Montreal Expos, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Oh wow! And that's exciting. I'm 13 at the time. Right, um, we're sitting in down the left field line. I can still remember this about halfway up, and the and Montreal's getting clubbed. We're down like eight one or something. Two innings to play, and there's a guy beacon off about five five rows down. He's just he's adding his influential uh, ex- experience to the whole outcome of the circumstance, which is you know, 300 feet away from him and nobody can hear him anyway. But he's going off about Montreal, not playing this, they suck, and on and on and on and on. My mother stands up, God rest her soul, and says to this guy, this thing isn't over until it's over. (laughs) And I'm going, this could get personal. (laughs) And I'm loving every minute of this because it was a never say it's over kind of mentality for her entire life. And she was a... You know, I, I come from a single parent family at that age, wow. 13. So, a variety of things that contributed to that, but those are life discussions. And uh, don't dispose, come back, right? 9 8, top of the seventh in two innings. <laughs> so, all of a sudden, it's a chip, it's a bump, it's a bunt, it's a this, it's a movement. They score four, they score five, and all of a sudden, this guy's starting to sweat. And you can just feel it from like five or ten rows in front of us. And she's sitting on the aisle seat, and he's in it, right? So gets to the bottom of the seventh. There's two out, right? Dodger's not looking very good. <laughs> he's already buttoned up. Well, doesn't he get up early before the games, and she starts to walk up? She gets up out of her chair and goes right up behind him. And she's just... I told you that they didn't leave them. <laughs> it's not over till it's over. <laughs> not over until it's over. That's and that's a, you know, I am sure there's some exaggeration in that, for my memory loss. But that's <laughs> that's a great that story. Was the, that was but that was the story. Uh, you know, and, and you just go, there's just no quit. There was never, and she lived her life like that. You know, so we take those things and do we put them into sport? Well, we're reminded of those, yeah. aren't we? And it's not a bad thing to be reminded of those. So you have to, any, I've found that young people with any adversity, you know, where they haven't submarined by adversity, and that's a shame when that happens, yeah. right? Where they don't have an advocate and they don't have, and from, a, from that point of view, it's always good to, 
to understand the audience and understand their story. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I would admit to having a soft spot for some of that for sure from a, from a playing perspective. I find that it, it a, a point isn't just, it, it, it's, it's monumental and it's insignificant at the same time. You, you, you have to dismiss points and move on in the game. But you also have to recognize that it is important in the outcome. But we live to play again. Yeah. But that's the best thing about sport. You know, the best thing is that there's always another opportunity to win. I agree. Even though the game is over, you can play again tomorrow. I, I agree. There, it just doesn't stop. Did yeah. you enjoy that? Or was the defeat so consuming? And we have to get past that and understand that we also have to be the best we can be. Yeah. And those two things don't always, you know, they don't always marry together easily sometimes, right? So... So if you um, were to be able, if you had a billboard mm -hmm. and it could have any message that you wanted people to know or be aware of, what would that message be? Oh, my comment would be, I think from a billboard point of view, no matter what today brings you, tomorrow will always be better. As long as you believe in the people around you. And That's believe good. in yourself. So, top of my head, there you go. That's good. I like mm -hmm. that. It's true. I'm, I am a firm believer in surrounding yourself. The people you surround yourself with will either pull you up or drag you down. It's your choice. Very, a very astute comment because it's very significant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They are either cheering you on and wanting you to succeed or they are people that don't want you to succeed based on their own insecurities or where they are, right? So I think, you know, everybody says it, the top five people you surround yourself with are the most important. I firmly believe in that, yeah. for sure, for sure. Well, Tim, thank you so much for your time. I didn't even get to half of what I wanted to talk to you about. You guess, see all my papers and the highlights, have, and it's like, back. oh my goodness. I guess we'll have to go, well, part two, <laughs> we'll come with another ism. It's true. <laughs> Your eyes on your fries, girl. <laughs> no, but I have enjoyed today, and I always enjoy speaking with you. I wish we got to see each other more, to yeah. be honest. Um, but if people wanted to follow you, um, are you on social media anywhere? Um, just, I'm on Facebook. I'm available on Facebook on at Facebook? this point, and, then and on Instagram at this point. But, yeah, um, and they should definitely follow the McMaster Marauders and cheer. Definitely the McMaster Marauders. We're doing more with the avenues we have available to us in this day and age. I, I do not profess to being the keeper of the gate. <laughs> I'm a lucky enough man to surround myself, as you say, with very, very good, uh, very, very good help and very, very good colleagues. So um, I think we're wiser in that regard. So check that out for sure. Yeah. And we'll look forward to next season. We've already begun. <laughs> we will be entertaining. I'll guarantee, I'll make that guarantee. And then we'll go from there. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Tim.